Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, January the 4th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Dowell Loggins, his hiring is official. What does that mean, and what will his role be with his team in 2018? Also, the trio takes to the podium for the end-of-season press conference. We'll talk about Adam Gaze, Mike Tannenbaum, and Chris Greer taking 20 minutes of questions and try our best to read between the lines over their comments, including a not-so-popular take on the future of Jarvis Landry. And lastly, we open up the Twitter mailbag for your guys' questions. But first, I gotta remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating and review. You can follow me on Twitter, at NFL. You can follow the show, at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We are pumping out pieces every single day. Right now, the exit interview series is up to four posts. Quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends all up live right now on LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as the New Year's Resolution Series from Jason Harina and then Kadeem Simmons with some draft stuff as well. Tons and tons of good content for you guys there. And don't forget to check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right into the meat from this episode to talk about the Dow Loggins hiring the Dolphins' new offensive coordinator. They will relegate Clyde Christensen to a different role within the organization, or at least that's the expectation at this point. He has been offered a different role. We are not sure what that role is, but he's offered a role within the organization, and we do not know if he has accepted that role or not yet, but he will be back with the Dolphins in some capacity if he would like to be, but Dow Loggins becomes the offensive coordinator. He will be Adam Gaze's right-hand man and a guy that can kind of bounce ideas off of Gaze, and Gaze can do the same off of him, and a guy that they have a close working relationship with. I know Bears fans on Twitter trash their offensive coordinator like every other fan of every other team does in the NFL for whatever reason, even though they have no experience calling plays. And the Dolphins fans have not been so pumped on the move either. I am going to reserve judgment because I have no idea what this guy is about, what he brings to the table, what his qualifications are. I don't have that expertise whatsoever. I just know that he works close with Adam Gaze, and then uh, he kind of appreciates or kind of has the same temperament as Adam Gaze, and they have a good working relationship. So why wouldn't you want to surround yourself with someone that works well with you? And I I saw this in the tweet from Jeff Darlington, the former Dolphins beat writer, but now a national guy, unfortunately, one of the best writers there is, in my opinion, in sports. But he had a tweet talking about the relationship and why this hiring happened. And I won't get into Loggins' past and his history because I did it on yesterday's podcast. If you guys want to check out the Wednesday podcast, I went over Dow Loggins a little bit in his career. But Jeff Darlington writes out a thread worth of tweets, and it reads this. A thread of context into Adam Gaze's hiring of Dow Loggins as Dolphins' new offensive coordinator. First of all, people close to both coaches have known have long known that a renewed partnership was a long time coming. They are close friends and kindred football minds. Yes, you'll hear plenty about Dow Loggins as one of the brighter offensive minds in the NFL. This is true, even with the 2017 Bears in mind, but there's a more important reason to hire is important, rapport with Gaze. Few people understand Gaze's complex personality better. It probably sounds a little hokey and unimportant, but Loggins knows how and when to communicate with Gaze, which is actually going to be a key to the team's future. 
It's something that didn't exist, I'm told, with Clyde Christensen. As for former offensive coordinator Clyde Christensen, he has been offered a role because of his respect within the organization to serve as a mentor of sorts to players. I don't anticipate it'll be a role specifically as an offensive assistant. I'm also unsure if he has decided to accept it. So there you have Jeff Darlington riffing off of it, talking about Dow Loggins being one of the more respected offensive minds in the business. And I'll take those guys' words over the comments of some irrational Bears fans that are upset because their team was garbage or because he had Mitch Trubisky and Mike Glenn to work with this year and absolutely no skill set to work with a wide receiver. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, Dow Loggins will take over the running game coordinator position previously filled by Chris Forrester. We all know what happened with him. And then Dave DeGamo or Gooch, as he's called in the locker room, as well as Chris Cooper, the offensive intern. So a lot of change and, and turnover there in terms of that position. But the Dolphins have moved forward with Dow Loggins, and uh, hopefully he can rekindle some of the magic he created with Jordan Howard, as well as Tariq Cohen in Chicago. And speaking of other teams across the NFL, as well as other football teams, as well as college football, now is a good time to tell you guys about mybookie.ag. Bowl season has come and almost gone, but there is still more time to get more action with mybookie.ag. Are you sick and tired of getting the runaround when you ask for payouts? Well, sign up now at mybookie.ag today and get paid fast when you win. MyBookie is your hookup for all your betting needs, and you can even deposit using Bitcoin. You guys know the drill. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money betting the bowl games, you got to go to mybookie.ag, the fastest payouts in the business. They have odds on every matchup as well as in-game live betting on all games this NFL season as well as the college bowl games. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Enter promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. If you're going to bet, the only place to do it is mybookie.ag. All right, that's enough of the advertising. Let's go ahead and get into the main point, the main talking point for today's episode, talking about the end-of-season press conference with Adam Gaze, Chris Greer, and Mike Tannenbaum, and just kind of go over the things that they talked about. It was about 22 minutes in length. I went ahead and watched it and took some notes on some of the things that stuck out to me. And the first point, the second question they asked Adam Gaze was what he thought his record would be with Ryan Tannehill playing healthy this season. Adam Gaze kind of smirked, smiled, shook his head, and said, I think you know the answer to that question. So Adam Gaze clearly in Ryan Tannehill's corner talking about how he is the starter for 2018, how he thinks that Tannehill is going to come back even better than he ever was before. So a lot of confidence in Ryan Tannehill moving forward with him. We heard about how Adam Gaze took the job because of Ryan Tannehill and the fact that they had a quarterback in place. So that relationship has not strained whatsoever. They asked him about the two knee injuries, and Adam Gaze was very adamant, saying it's only one injury. He's a full go for spring. He, in terms of the other quarterbacks on the roster, he liked what he saw from David Fells late in that game in Buff against the Buffalo Bills, kind of his first start, and you know, kind of getting thrown to the fire. He wants to see what we have in the guys that are currently here with the Dolphins, and then he didn't, wouldn't make a comment about drafting a quarterback. We all know they're going to have to draft a quarterback at some point or bring in a veteran quarterback or do something for a Tannehill backup, but he's just kind of being the coach's speak in terms of telling the the media that those guys are going to get an opportunity to play and to get a shot at the backup job, talking about Brandon Dowdy and David Fells, obviously. And then they went on to talk to ask Mike Tannenbaum about player evaluations as well as Adam Gaze. And they kind of made the same comment, all all three of them in agreement, saying that that hasn't really begun yet. You know, the season just ended. It's a big toll on the body and the psyche and the, you know, everything that these guys put into an entire season. It's a long, long season for these guys. And they haven't really began that process yet. So they will begin to do that probably in the next week or, you know, start evaluations then. And, and they got a lot to do but from that time, from now until that time as well. So just kind of going down the list here, they talked about signing Jay Cutler and Adam Gay said he thought that was the right decision. There was not a lot of options when your quarterback goes out. We all know how that goes. Every other team that had a quarterback go out basically faced the same fate, except for the Minnesota Vikings. 
but Jay Keller just not, did not get acclimated as quickly as they had all hoped. That was kind of the reasoning behind the signing. He thought that Cutler coming over would get the familiarity that they wanted to continue into the training camp. And all offseason last year, the message was continuity, bringing back Kenny Stills, bringing back Andre Branch, getting Kiko Alonso locked up, getting Rashad Jones locked up, even Jermon Bushrod coming back. Now, I know those moves didn't all work out, if any really, besides Kenny Stills. But the message was continuity. They wanted to build the program. And we'll get to that here in a minute about why they felt that way. And they thought Jay Cutler gave them the best chance to continue that. It just didn't click as quickly as they had hoped it would, or if at all. They thought it would happen. They knew it would be slow, but they didn't think it would be that slow. So Adam Gay is kind of admitting to the fault or the the lack of, I guess, plus performance from Jay Cutler and kind of how bad he was throughout the course of the season. So that was kind of nice to hear him admit that mistake. Then they asked Mike Tannenbaum if he thought that this team was far off from where they wanted to be. And he referenced the NFC and all the parity that they, that they have and how five of the six NFC playoff teams right now are teams that were not part of the party last year. So you can turn things around quickly in this league. He referenced to that. They asked him about Steven Ross and apparently he dropped an F-bomb at some point. I, I didn't catch when that was, but it was the end of the last game. I, I don't see why it would be since they were already out of playoff contention at that point. But Mike Tannenbaum referenced to Stephen Ross's passion and the resources he provides these guys to go ahead and make these moves and make this football team the best they can. And it kind of brings me back to a comment that I had made earlier in the season, back when the Dolphins were 4-2 and two and things were going well. And I still feel that way because I don't think that a few months of results changes everything so dramatically in that sense. And it's my point is that Stephen Ross is a good owner. And the reason is basically what they just said is that he cares, he's passionate, and he provides them all the resources they could possibly want. I think he's learned from some of his mistakes in terms of scheduling games outside of that September one o'clock Eastern window. He wants more of those. Now he kind of lost sight of that when he first came to Miami, he has learned from those types of mistakes, instituted a state of the art facility as well. And he gives the guys all the money and resources they want to go out and get players, gives the scouting staff plenty of resources to go out and make their accommodations across the country as they do the scouting job. So Stephen Ross, passionate owner, good owner. I think we're okay with him. And then they asked where was an area where ex where expectations were exceeded to Adam Gaze. And, you know, this is kind of where we went back to talking about how the evaluation has not been done yet. They will get to that ASAP. And they mentioned that the coaching search in terms of filling out the entire coaching staff will happen within the next week. So that's going to happen pretty quickly. They also asked him a question that I thought was kind of a backhanded question to him saying, if it's not, if it's too early to evaluate the players, when do we start talking about evaluating you as a coach? Someone asked him that if it's too early to evaluate himself. And he said that'll be on the front burner. The very first thing he gets to is evaluating himself. So good to hear that he's going to be looking into some of his own shortcomings or mistakes that he may have made. And uh, just hope that he can get that, that stuff straightened away. Here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, we are talking about the Dolphins press conference, the end of season press conference, as well as a note here on Jarvis Landry coming up and some of their comments about him on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL. Let's go ahead and dive into the portion of the episode. I'm sure you guys were all dying to hear my tease about Jarvis Landry and some of the comments they made about him. And I think that the writing may be on the wall for a potential Jarvis Landry exit. And I know that's going to infuriate a lot of you guys and especially the crowd on Twitter that loves Jarvis Landry. I love Jarvis Landry, what he brings to this team. But let me tell you guys why I feel like he may not be back despite the fact that we've heard that from several beat writers as well as me reporting that on the old podcast here with Joe Shad back in November. But they talked a lot about keeping their own guys and how sometimes the salary cap does not allow for you to do that. The cap is a thing and we have to move things around and prioritize certain guys. And they did not make a comment about Jarvis Landry in that sense at all. Whereas last year there was effusive praise for Kenny Stills. They did not want to lose him. He was a big part of the team, big part of the culture they're trying to establish and that continuity and all that stuff that we talked about. 
but they did not extend that same comment or that same praise for Jarvis Landry. Gaze wound up calling or ended up calling his incident the pinnacle of his frustration in terms of on-field incidents, talking about how Landry has these outbursts and how that was the pinnacle of all of them, how it came to a head in that game on Sunday. He mentioned that we look at the entire body of work and that that kind of stuff cannot happen. It is embarrassing. He used the word embarrassing. We were in that game down the stretch and we lose our two best, two of our best players on offense. He refers to Landry and Drake as two of the best players on offense and how we lose them on a drive where we're trying to win the football game. So he was not happy. Obviously, I don't think Mike Tannenbaum's too thrilled about it and the idea that he might get a big contract. So, you know, the way I see it, I mean, he talked earlier in the season about how some guys weren't bringing their playbooks home with them and they weren't diving into it. And that was kind of based around Jay as well as Jarvis Landry and how some of the leaders and the best players in the team weren't doing enough. And that was something that he grouped Landry into that that comment. So, you know, I, I've heard that Adam Gaze and Jarvis Landry love each other and they have a great relationship, but I, I think at some point that relationship might have soured. And I think that the Dolphins might be preparing to go on without him and they might they might be planning to go on without him. And I can see that being definitely a possibility. So, you know, Jarvis Landry, if he doesn't come back, there's going to be lots of options in the draft as well as free agency. It's going to free up a lot of money for the Dolphins to play with in free agency as well. So be very, very interesting to see what happens with Jarvis Landry. Just moving on here on the uh, talking about some of the questions they asked him. They asked Chris Greer about best about what he would do on the draft board if quarterback was available. And he said that we're going to take the best player available. So if the best player on our board is a quarterback, we'll take a quarterback. We're not going to pass on J.J. Watt because we have Cameron Wake. So he kind of made a reference to that. But he was very clear about taking the best player available, so expect that to happen. He referenced Adam Gaze's competitive spirit and how they all want to win and how it sucks they're picking 11th. And he said that Adam would kill his own dog for a Super Bowl win, which was kind of a weird comment. And Adam Gaze said, I don't have a dog, so that's, you know, don't worry about that happening. And then the last question I want to talk about was a dumb question from a guy that he's a beat writer, been there for a long time, but seems to not quite get the idea of how this game works or whatever. But Armando Salguero asks a, a question that I consider very just stupid. He said, why would you want to, you guys have talked about continuity. Why would you want to keep together a six and 10 team? And just so, so unknowledgeable about what they're trying to do or, you know, what the process is or how just an NFL team works. You can't just gut everybody every year and hope that it works out the next year. But Mike Tannenbaum had a good answer for that. I talked about how it fits. He I talked about earlier about how he said it fits their core philosophy of rewarding guys for doing the right things and establishing a winning culture. And what he means by that is if you're going to come to work every day and play hard or show up and you play hard on Sundays and you produce on Sundays and you get it done and you're a good teammate and you're a good leader, they're going to reward you. So that's why the emphasis is on that particular point so so heavy is is building that continuity and showing guys within the building that if you do the things the right way you'll get rewarded and I, I really appreciate that philosophy even though if it didn't work out for guys like Andre Branch Kiko Alonso whatever it might be but just having that mentality of building guys know that if you guys do things the right way you'll get rewarded all right, guys, one last segment before we get out of here for the show today. I promised you guys a Twitter mailbag. I figured we'd talk about it on the podcast today and get a little fan interaction for the offseason. Here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, at Wingfield NFL on Twitter. You guys know the drill. If you go ahead and send me out a tweet on that particular thread, I will answer the question here on the podcast. I'll give you a Twitter shout-out, and we will discuss that topic here on the podcast. Here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, at Locked On Fans on Twitter. So you guys know by now my primary Twitter account is at Wingfield NFL, my personal Twitter account. We also have at Locked on Fins for the show, but I put the questions out on my personal Twitter and then I'll retweet it with the Locked on Fins handle just so you guys are kind of aware of how this works. But the first question here in the Twitter mailbag comes from Nathan Rice at NJRice2004. 
If by chance no deal happens between Landry and the Dolphins, who do you see being his successor? A fantastic question to lead into this after our last topic. And I think the Dolphins would search for a perimeter-type receiver, a guy that would be more replacement for Devontae Parker, because I think Jakeem Grant will fill the slot position. And one of the things Adam Gaze has talked about with receivers is he wants guys that can play all three positions, and that's the split end, the flanker, and the slot. The split end, traditionally, this is not maybe a little bit outdated, but traditionally the split end was a guy that played on the boundary side of the formation, the weak side of the formation, kind of like a bigger body guy that could run the slants and the you know, the hitches and be more of a physical guy that can split out wide, but be a bigger like Anquan Bolden type. Whereas your flanker was like your Larry Fitzgerald, kind of your big play receiver, or I guess that's not a great, great example, but talking about the Arizona Cardinals, a good example is a, a flanker, a speed guy like a Kenny Stills, a guy that can line up out wide and run the deep routes and uh, take the top off the defense. And then your slot, obviously you guys know what that is. So Adam Gaze has talked about how he wants guys that can run all three positions. I think Jakeem Grant is more adept at that than Jarvis Landry is in terms of versatility across the formation. So I think that he would be the response or the replacement for Jarvis Landry. And then I think in free agency, they would go out and attack somebody, maybe like an Allen Robinson, hopefully from Jacksonville, if that was the case. And then in the draft, there's a bunch of guys you like too. So we'll get to that more in the future. But I think, I think Jakeem Grant would be the best answer for you there, Nathan. Next question comes from Gabe Genovese at Gabe Gino 13. What's your opinion on drafting a quarterback early? I'm a big Tannehill supporter. Thought it was dumb at first with too many other needs to fill. But the more I think about it, I wouldn't mind one in rounds two, three, or four. Maybe Logan Woodside from Toledo in round four to five. Gabe, Logan Woodside is one of my personal favorites in this draft. I love the way he throws the football, the way he commands the huddle. And I know he played in the MAC, but he, you know, lower competition, but he made them look silly most of the time, kind of that big play offense. But he has more of that professional prototype, and that's what you have to look for. A guy that comes from a pro-style offense, a guy that can be a great pocket passer, a guy that will progress through progress through reads, a guy with a, probably a bigger arm. I think you look at him. I think Riley Ferguson might be an option. And there, there's some smaller school guys that I've been told about but haven't really been briefed on. But I think those will be the types of guys you look at. A guy like Tanner Lee from Nebraska possibly don't love his game, but he fits that mold as well. Next question is from Ryan Wesley at Ryan underscore T underscore Wesley with the Dolphins lack lack of success drafting guards and linebackers. Have they made any changes in the scouting department to hire scouts that know these two positions? No, they, they don't. That's not how it works. Uh, so basically what they do is they have regional scouts. So they'll have someone like for me up here in Seattle, I would be the Northwest regional scouts. I would travel from like the Pac-12 North, the Mountain West Conference. I'd be in charge of all that stuff like Boise, Wyoming, those types of schools. So it works more in regional than it does positional. So every, every scout is supposed to be versed on different positions. So no, they have not done that. Next question comes from Julian Luco at Julian underscore Luco. I hope I pronounced that right, Julian. Are you surprised at how many people champion or kill quarterbacks without taking into consideration the coaching, etc.? Absolutely. That's the quarterbacks always get more blame than they deserve and more credit than they deserve. That's been the case going back to since I was alive with the NFL, and it happens all the time. We saw. I mean, I buried. I absolutely buried Jerry Jared Goff last year on my third and ten website that I, I published in the summer, where I graded every single quarterback's throws throughout the entire course of the 2016 season. He was awful on tape, and that wasn't just bad coaching. That had something to do with it, but he was just so bad. And then Sean McVay comes in, gets the mechanics cleaned up, gets the decisions made quicker, gets him reading defenses more at a more high level, gets him seeing things at a, at a just a better way to see the field with the quarterback than than Jeff Fisher and his offensive staff had him doing. So 100% they do. This game is so esoteric; it's so hard to understand. Even if you study the game very closely, you most likely only have an elementary understanding of what's going on. I'm not even considering myself. Much of an expert. I just put a lot of time into it. So I have a little bit more knowledge than your general Facebook commenter, but 
it, it's such a hard game to understand. So that's, I absolutely do 100%. Last question here is from RH. It's at Ralph Harper, 1965. I don't see Finns going quarterback in round one, but who would be a second day guy to consider a groom back up to RT to RT 17 and flipping three years. I don't think they'll go into the draft thinking that they're going to find a guy that they can flip for resources or for future resources. I think that's really a team. Uh, that's something that a team with, you know, that has the luxury of making those picks can do. The Dolphins need to find some guys that can play and probably play right away. I'm a big proponent of thinking that you draft for the next four years rather than just one year. So you don't have to take a guy that plays right away. We saw that with Charles Harris this year. But I think you have to take a guy that can contribute right away and then be a starter by year two and a consistently good starter in year two. So I don't think they're going to have that mentality. I talked about the other quarterbacks earlier, you know, the Logan Woodsides, the, the Tanner Lees, those types of guys they could target later on in the draft. But I don't think they'll come into the draft thinking they're going to find a guy to back up Ryan Tannehill and then swap for a first round pick later. That is that would be the dream scenario. That would be awesome. You know, Tannehill balls out. This backup quarterback plays well in the preseason and gets himself a high value. Kind of like what Brett Hundley was doing in Green Bay until he had to play the games on Sunday and really lost all his value doing that. So I think you kind of draft with the ear towards this guy's going to be a backup and a long-term project behind Ryan Tannehill. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WinkfulNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And check out Locked On NFL on Facebook as well as at Locked On NFL on Twitter. And, of course, don't forget LockedOnDolphins.com. The tight end exit interview piece is up right now, as well as wide receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks. Be back on Monday with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast presented by MyBookie.ag, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.